Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Has anyone in here ever heard the name Thomas Clarkson? It's hard to have Wilberforce without Clarkson. He was born in 1760, 19 years old. He was at Cambridge in 1779. He wrote an essay in a Latin competition, paper writing competition, and he won. The title of that essay was, Is the Slave Trade Lawful? You got an English guy at Cambridge, 1779, writes a paper in Latin. People were beginning to question the issue of slavery around the time, and in 1787, under death threats, he formed up a coalition, the abolition of the African slave trade. Now, Thomas Clarkson didn't work alone. Thomas Clarkson also had in his company Granville Sharp and Josiah Wedgwood. He he wasn't working alone. Clarkson approached a member of parliament, Wilberforce, who was an Anglican, who was eager to join their cause. And in 1791, follow me, 12 years after a university student wrote a paper in Latin, it gets translated over by somebody we don't even know their name into English. In 1807, the Slave Trade Act changed history. Yet when we're just asked right here in the moment, hey, does anyone know about Wilberforce? Hands go up. And we're like, great. How about Thomas Clarkson? How about Granville Sharp? How about Josiah Wedgwood? And we're kind of like, these are people? God does his thing in the world by using lots of people that history largely forgets. And so it is with the movement and the mission of God. God wants to do something in London, and history might be like, wait, she was involved? Wait, he was in the room? They were doing that? Let me show it to you one more time. Has anyone ever heard the name Tom Petty, John Lennon, or 50 Cent? Another show of hands? Any registry there? Somebody's not raising their hand. We will talk after. Here's a man you've probably never heard of. You've probably never heard of the name Jimmy Oveen. Jimmy Oveen. He was the recording engineer behind Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, John Lennon in the 70s. He's the producer behind U2's Rattle and Hum. He supervised the music for the film 16 Candles and Scrooged. It's Jimmy Oveen who founded Interscope Records. Jimmy Oveen signed Tupac Shakur. He was the financier behind Dr. Dre, and he was the financier behind Death Row Records. Jimmy Oveen. These events orchestrated the rise of Snoop Dogg and Eminem. He's the talent scout who found Gwen Stefani and Trent Reznor. He launched the careers of 50 Cent and Lady Gaga, produced the movie Eight Mile with Eminem that was number one in the box office, grossing $240 million. He helped LeBron James vision out this documentary more than a game. And he gave Dr. Dre the idea for Beats headphones and the two of them sold it to Apple for $3 billion. Jimmy Oveen. And when you say Tom Petty, when you say John Lennon, when you say Bruce Springsteen, it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that guy. But here's who you haven't heard of. The guy behind the guy who has shaped everything from the very artists that we listen to through the speakers we listen to them through. 
Well, it was Jimmy Ovine. So it goes with us. God wants to accomplish a lot in the world. History might have a way of kind of pushing one person or a small team of people up there into the spotlight. A few people might stand at the front of the room, but what's not seen are the many people who come early, who set the space up, who labor all throughout the week. And my dear friends, Paul lands this in such a place where we can see this very thing playing out at the end of Ephesians. It leads us to a point where we have to ask and answer a question today. How does your story fit into the story of God? Because what you're going to see with our guy Tychicus, the guy who's named right here at the end of this amazing book, he had an important part to play in the story of God. And Paul wasn't exceptional. Tychicus wasn't exceptional. And you and I aren't exceptional as well. We all have a role to play in the mission of God. So maybe we can just focus in. We've, we've considered so much about this book. We have the few last words of this amazing book right, right here. Paul, the author who's been writing into the church that he helped plant in Ephesus, he writes, Tychicus, my dear, my dear brother, faithful servant in the Lord, he will tell you everything and also update you how I'm doing and how I'm, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. And then he says peace and he, he finishes out his, his, letting here, his letter here. I want to start getting straight to the point, so let's go there. What I want you to see by the way Ephesians ends, is one of these truths right here. God appoints people to roles in His story. God appoints people to roles in His story. God is the one who put the Apostle Paul in place. God's the one who sent Paul to Ephesus for just for a little season. God's the one who raised him up to preach some sermons and a church was planted. God was the one to move Paul out of that and move somebody else in. God's the one to raise up somebody who's been right there. He's been in the background the whole time. His name's Tychicus. God's the one to say, hey, Tychicus is a part of this as well. And God's doing that right here in your life as well. God's planting a church. God's raising up a mission. There are no insignificant people. There are no insignificant roles. There are no insignificant places. I want to show you this in Tychicus's life, but first let's just have a glance to see this in the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul wrote as a man who knew his role in the mission of God. And I, and I know that's like on many of our hearts today. Like, don't you, don't you want to be that kind of a woman, that kind of a man who just knows this is how I fit into what God is doing in the world. Maybe you can find it by looking at how Paul did it. Check out the last bit of Romans chapter 15. Look how personal Paul took his ministry. Verse 15, he said, the grace that was given to me by God. Verse 16, my offering to God. Verse 17, my work for God. Verse 18, what Christ has accomplished through me. Verse 19, I have fulfilled the ministry. He goes on to say, given to me. And in verse 20, my ambition or my personal aim. The Apostle Paul had a relationship with God where he knew some of the specific stuff that God wanted him to spend his life working on. Without putting anybody on the spot. Don't you want that in your own life as well? Don't you want to be the kind of youth coming up, the kind of university student moving through, the kind of adult walking around London? We're doing important stuff with our life, of course, but we know how what we are doing is connected to the great purposes of God. Yeah, look at the end in verse 19. Paul says in Romans chapter 15 there, from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verses 23, he says, I no longer have any work to do in this region. But I want you to see just what kind of a statement he's making here. Check this out on a map. Look how big the region is right here. 
In the map that you can see, there's 37 major cities plus hundreds and hundreds of villages. It's estimated half a million people inhabited the map that's right there. At most, we estimate there was about a dozen churches, maybe, that no doubt weren't fully formed and shaped up. Maybe some had some leadership issues, all the justice issues in all the towns. They weren't worked out. Some maybe still trying to figure out their evangelism strategy. And yet, Paul could say, my work here is done. Theologians estimate if out of a half a million people that were there, maybe a dozen or so churches, maybe it got up to about 500 members total. And Paul can say, my work here is done. I'm heading somewhere else. Question, how could he say that? Question, what would it look like for you and me to be the type of men and women where we too could say, God, I've, I've done the thing God asked me to do. I've completed the job. It's done. How could he say it? He could say it because there was a particular calling for his life that focused as a, that functioned for him as a north star for all of his decision makings. Should I move here? Or should I move there? I don't know. Like, what's God calling you to? Should, should I be about this? Or should I be about that? What's God calling you to? The big idea, friends. Paul had a specific role to play in the mission of God, and you and I do too. Biblically, we know the names Moses and Abraham and David and Peter and James and John. And here in chapter six, Paul. But here's the names we don't know as much, but they're still mentioned in the story. We, 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 we don't know all the different names, but they're there. We have a tendency to skim over these seemingly insignificant figures in the story when meanwhile, God is accomplishing wonderful things through them in their lives. His name's Tychicus. He's named right here in chapter 6. I wonder if you can find some encouragement for your own story by considering just a brief sketch of his life. He's mentioned five times by the Apostle Paul. He's entrusted with carrying around different letters in the ancient world. Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians 2, Timothy, and Titus. Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus to give Timothy some time off in the preaching rotation. He traveled to Greece, Troas, Jerusalem, Ephesus, Colossae, and possibly Crete. While traveling, he was with Paul in multiple churches. Tychicus is one of those people. His fingerprints are all over the New Testament. And some of us have barely even noticed him. So it goes with the mission of God. God's doing a thing. And sometimes we get distracted because it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not on the big platform or I'm not a pastor. Or I haven't given my life to be a missionary. I just do this. And we write off whatever our this is like it's insignificant. It's where we're going in the next couple of weeks, my dear friends, studying up the big themes of faith and work and how it fits together. Consider just a brief sketch of Tychicus's life and look at how he lived against the grain of what would have been so popular in his day. This is just briefly comparing Tychicus against the emperor Nero. Um, we, we estimate he was saved in, in the year 54, probably about 16 years old. In the year 57, we pick up our guy Tychicus. He's in Ephesus, probably serving the Lord there. You see him in Acts chapter 20. Paul gets chased out of Ephesus, running over to Troas. He only takes eight people with him. In Troas, they split up, and Tychicus goes ahead of Paul as like a bit of an advanced guy. Like, Paul, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to kind of set up shop, and when you come, you can plug in, and you can be ready. Paul, you have a role. I have a role. I'm going to run ahead now. Short-term trip to set up in Philippi is recorded for us as well. He wasn't to be, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't with Paul to be known by Paul. He knew the Lord personally, and that was enough for him. He was willing to leave a city if necessary. Remarkable form of humility on this man's life. 
In the year 63, he's in Rome. He's going to Colossae in Ephesus. He, he, he would have been known in both places. He'd been working alongside Paul for five to six years, and he could represent Paul in different occasions. Check this out. 64 is very important. He's not sent to Crete. And let me tell you why this is important for us, especially as a young church. So many aspiring leaders, so much talent, so much future and potential in the room right here. We need to press into what happened in the year 64. He's writing to Titus, telling him, I'm going to send relief to you. Paul's nearing the end. He's in custody in prison. He's projecting, maybe I'm just projecting some of my own experiences on this. In the year 64, Tychicus was not tapped for leadership in Crete, and he didn't get bitter. There's a humility on this guy's life. What do you need? Paul, you have an important role. What can I do to support you in that role? And you run ahead to the next spot, say no more, and he's off. Paul kind of finished his ministry a few times. There's clearly some stuff left undone. Tychicus was one of those Christians that just said, you know what, there's more here than you need to do. You head on, I'm going to stay here and square this away for you. Tychicus. Defining moment in his leadership journey. Opportunity to go lead in Crete. And Paul chooses another guy. And how does our young guy handle it here? Does he get bitter? Does he sit around and sulk? Does he run off and join another team? No, he's just faithful. In 67, he's sent to Ephesus. And notice this. In his story, a small opportunity closed and a bigger opportunity opened. No guarantee. It just happened for him. Four to five years after he delivered the letter there, Tychicus takes up some ministry in Ephesus. It's amazing. Just questions for us as a church family. This is the life of a minister of the Lord. How are you and I doing? Like just practical stuff right here and now on the spot. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach all afternoon. Listen. Are you dependable in the little things? Are you capable of being trusted with things that's like, I need you to take a letter over here? Other application questions, they just come up out of the text for us. Examining this one, brother, do you show up on time? Do you get your homework done? Are you faithful in the small ways? Do you keep your word? Do you follow through? Are you reliable even when everyone around you would just say, that's a minor task? Are you reliable? Tychicus. When you think about it, this is how God works. You think of a, you think of a doctor in hospital. You know, you think like, oh, well, how did you get better? Oh, I went to hospital and doctor fixed me. That, that's not true. No, like you might have interacted with one person called a doctor, but think about how everyone working together to take care of you when something went wrong. You had the schedulers, the insurance people, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, the lab techs, anesthesia, the CICU team, diagnostic people, imaging specialists, food service, the janitory team, maybe parking team, somebody running security at the door, gift shop, building maintenance, rehab specialists. You had loads of people looking after you just so you could go through hospital and say, doctor made me well. So it is even with the church. Somebody might come through and it might be the way a song was sung or the way someone preaches the Word of God one week and someone says, oh, like I encountered God. But friends, we know it's never one or two people. It's a whole host of people working in concert. Everyone doing their individual roles when anything valiant happens. My dear friends, I just want you to see it as the book of Ephesians concludes. There's a place for you in the story of God. 
Ephesians chapter 2, we considered it. Andrew brought it out beautifully for us last week as well. God wants to take your time and He wants to turn it into opportunity. God wants to take the mess of your past and make it the message you go and share. You've been created for good works which God's prepared. It just kind of lands with Tychicus. It's like we should enter into that and consider more. Number two, we're moving. God provides community to keep us in His story. You ever wonder how Paul did it? How people got through? How the mission of God unfolds? How did Paul do it? How did Paul do all the preaching, all the church planting, all the prayer meetings, all the elder trainings? How do you do it? He wasn't working alone. He had a whole team of people working around him. On the fringes of his letters, we learn about these people. It marks their significance rather than their obscurity. It's as if Paul is saying, this letter comes to you by support of these friends. Here's an example. Romans 16. Look at everyone that gets named at the end of Romans 16. That's a lot of people right there. And I'm not even going to read it to you. But think about it. Think how massively inclusive this list of people is. The, the, the team of people that, if you would like, made Paul possible. They were diverse in terms of their race. There were even there the cultural stuff. There was Jewish people, Priscilla and Aquila. There was also Paul's relatives. That was a bit different. Different sorts of class. Some names are listed here of royal importance. There's a healthy mix of gender. Eight or nine of the 27 people Paul names are women. Paul specifies that all of them have worked hard and all of them have made a contribution to the mission. You think he was working in a place where he just had a team around him and there was community. So can I just say, if Paul was running such a big team like that, how much more I need it and how much more you need it? He was the Apostle Paul. He was converted by the Lord Jesus Right? He was brought to saving faith through the Lord Jesus. And if that guy needed such a squad, how much more for humble you and me? And this is why we got to be in here. We got to have people around us, each with their own role and their own word in our life. We got to be giving ourselves over to these relationships. Paul certainly needed it. How much more so for me? How much more so for you? But look at the diversity of this movement. 28 individuals, two others not named, five groups of people, 17 men, leaders of families, nine women, two couples, there's marriages on mission here, two households of people, there's whole families on mission, two persons of distinction, three, three Jewish converts, two, five slaves and two apostles mentioned in his group. When we think about it like, man, who are these people? And this, this really resonates with some of us because it's like, man, I'll never be Paul, but I could be one of them. We honor the Lord in even naming these people. Paul's missionary travel companions, Aquila, Aristarchus, Barnabas, Epaphras, Gaius, Justus, Lucas, Marcus, Onesimus, Philemon, Priscilla, Secundus, Silas, Sopater, Tertius, Ter Timothy, Titus, Trophimus, and Tychicus. People we see in the Bible, we just kind of, oh, yeah, whoever that is. And that whoever that is, those are the kinds of men and women that are responsible for wonderful things in world history. And so it can be with your life as well. Paul had different co-workers, fellow prisoners and supporters. Indonicus, Aphia, Archippus, Carpus, Demas, Epaphroditus, Erastus, Lucius, Lydia, Jason, Junia, Nymphus, Onismus. Phoebe, Tyrannus, and her bane. The list of, these are lists of people who made sacrifices in their own lives, not to hold up one person, but to hold up the movement of God. They are names given to us to show us that the body of the early church 
It consisted of ordinary people. You notice there's just one Paul running around. And it's a whole movement of ordinary folks. And make no mistake about it, my dear friends, these are the people who changed the world. The greatest ascending church in the book of Acts is in Antioch. And it's literally planted by men and women that we don't even know their names. God wants to work through your life. If we open up our lives to Him, if we live in community, we can realize, man, the church is not, the church has never been built on the talents of a few. It's always been built by the sacrifices of the many. And that's what God's doing here. Last two years, we've been formed up as a church. We're going to celebrate in two weeks' time. That's, that's all that's happened. It's not a talents of a few people. It's many people making these small sacrifices and a thing takes place. We got to see it. We got to press into it. And we got to keep seeing it and go some more. How about just 10 more minutes? And we'll be done. God does not expect for you to do everything, that he, everything, but He has created you to do some things. As I'm saying, like, God wants to use your life. Like, for each man and each woman in this room, God wants you to have that thing where it's like, what do I do? How do I contribute? God wants you to know it. And here's, here's a bit of a cheat code for how to find it God doesn't expect for you to do everything but He does have something for you and He wants you to know that and He wants you to do it. Have you ever been overwhelmed by all the needs that need to get taken care of? Anyone that works with people is especially familiar with this. All the visits that need to happen, all the phone calls that need to be made, all the text messages, all the doors that need to be knocked, all the people that need to be held, all the homeless people that need someone to sit and spend 15 minutes looking in their eyes and getting another name in conversation. Ever been overwhelmed by it all? All the brokenness, all the need, all the lack. Here's the relieving good news. You're not supposed to do it all. The way, way we can say things around here is not everything has, not everything from heaven has your name on it. Many, many good things come down from heaven and they just don't belong to you. Moving to China and being a church planting missionary, that is an important thing and we need people trying to figure it out. And guess what? That might not belong to all of us. Pursuing mercy and justice in specific ways and hard to get to places, that's really important. And guess what? All of those places aren't all of our places. The Lord's going to assign something specific for you. So how do you know what your ministry is? We, you think about it. It's going to be that thing that you always worry about, you always long for, your mind always goes to. Nehemiah just couldn't stop thinking about that wall. He was tenacious, man. Got to get up on. I got to build a wall. Going to build a wall. Going to build a wall. Everything's just the wall, the wall, the wall. Maybe it's those people that your heart breaks for. Maybe it's that place that you can't stop thinking about. Or maybe like Paul, God was calling you to go break ground in a new place, in a hard place, a place where Christ was not known, and He went. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we just need a moment where we say, man, I want to I resolve my life to figuring out in this next season what God wants me to do. It's going to be some ministry time after this. Abby and Ashlyn are going to be over here just to pray over your life, see if they can spend some time with you in that. The thing is, not everything from heaven has your name on it. You're not responsible for everything, but here's the other side of that truth. Something from heaven does have your name on it, and we want to help you figure out what that is and get busy doing it. Did you notice? Tychicus was not supposed to be Paul. Paul was supposed to be Paul, and Tychicus was supposed to be Tychicus. But there was some certain stuff that only Tychicus was up to that Paul wouldn't have been possible without. 
So it goes with this church. And so it goes with the movement of of the gospel in a place like London. All the needs don't belong to you. Some of the needs do. And we need to sell our lives out to meeting those needs. Come what may. Here's where it lands. God is the hero. And His people always play the background in His story. The concluding note for these six chapters of Ephesians that we've been in, God's the hero. God's the one that gets named right here. Peace to the brothers and sisters with love from God the Father and the Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The emphasis is not, so remember me, my name's Paul and I planted this church. The emphasis is not, but remember Tychicus, he's really important too. The emphasis is, And sometimes the secret to having the great theme of our stories worked out is getting our eyes off of ourselves and getting our eyes onto Jesus. Have you ever noticed how, um, how envy just breeds chaos in our hearts? We spend all our time looking at him or looking at her or thinking about what she's doing or thinking about where he is. and oh, It's just corrosive. It just eats us up. We're never intended to spend our lives looking at Paul or looking at tickets or looking at me or looking at you. We intended to spend our eyes looking at the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to invite I'm going to invite Luis and Meg to come on up. We'll begin to conclude here. Jesus talked in apprenticeship language. He said, "I'm not doing anything new. I'm just walking around. I'm looking at the Father. I'm thinking about the Father. What is the Father saying? Okay, I want to be somebody saying that. What is the Father doing? Oh, I want to be somebody doing that." People crave intimacy and people crave impact and maybe somehow you find your way in here this morning and you're longing for intimacy. We hold before you Jesus. You look at what's left in your life and you're like, man, I just wish the Lord could do this somehow. We hold before you Jesus. He's where both of those are met. God offers intimacy and impact, a role and significant by trusting in Him. Gospel doesn't call us, my dear friends, as we finish this book, to go and do great things apart from God. The gospel calls us to be a means of grace in this world where God flows through us and God expresses himself through us. Even think as we finish this letter now, it's talking about what the church is. And Paul's going to talk in just a, a few books over that the church, we're a body. And the Lord Jesus is our head. I'm I'm not the head of this thing. That is ridiculous. The elders are not the head of this thing. That is ridiculous. The Lord Jesus is the head. We are the body. And we all have, we all have crucially important roles to play. You need a mouth, you need some hands, you need some feet. And here's what you also need. You need some internal organs that work hard and faithfully and diligently for the whole thing to stay upright. Everyone has a role to play. I invite you, could we just enter into a time now as as the book concludes and the song opens, we're going to have a minute to pray. Can we just all together, can we fix our eyes on Jesus in this moment? I hope you're encouraged by getting a few things on Tychicus. Maybe that helps you feel seen, but know this. How was Tychicus able to do it? How was Tychicus able to serve? How did he leave home at the drop of a hat? How did he follow this guy around and just do whatever needed to be done for a few years? Well, it was because his eyes were on Jesus. 
And Jesus Christ knew his name. Christ was intimately aware of his endurance and his sacrifice and his character and his influence. So my dear friends, it doesn't matter if our roles seem to be central or if our roles seem to be peripheral or background. Some of us here, we need a paradigm shift for what it means to be a part of the church. It isn't about standing up front. It isn't about being invited to lead a thing. Matters because Jesus is your head and you have a part to play. It doesn't matter if the city knows who you are. It doesn't matter if so-and-so is going to be known for abolishing a thing and you were just that guy who wrote a paper in university. People barely think about it. It doesn't matter if our eyes are on Jesus and we know Him and He knows us. God wants to see change worked out in this world and it's going to be change that flows like that. Ordinary people, just like you and me, that were looking to leverage every little nook and cranny of their lives to access their extraordinary gospel and their extraordinary God by the power of the extraordinary Holy Spirit. So it goes with us as we land here. And we just consider the words of John Newton who said, Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Him. Look unto Him as He hung naked and wounded and bled and deeding bleeding and dead upon and forsaken upon the cross. Look unto him again as he now reigns in glory, possessed of all power in heaven and earth with thousands and thousands of saints and angels worshiping before him and 10,000 times 10,000 ministering unto him. And when you see him, then compare. Compare your sins with his blood. Compare your wants with his fullness. Compare your unbelief with his faithfulness. Compare your weakness with his strength. Compare your inconstancy with His everlasting love. We were looking to the Lord Jesus. We won't fall into those traps of comparison. We won't wonder if we're insignificant. We will know He is calling me to this and He will help me see it through. So let me invite you. Stand to your feet. And I'll just read this and we're done. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Some time to respond. Just a few moments. Some people are going to be over here for prayer. If you have a weight that needs to be removed, a time to removement, if you have uh, a paradigm shift that needs to be adjusted, some time to adjust. If you just need to open up your heart and ask the Lord, what would he have you do? Some space for that as we linger and we sing.